the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Three points that are important about courtship. If you're interested in a relationship with someone, you're a Christian, you want to be God-honoring, you want to, you're a Christ follower, what are some of the things that are important for you in, in uh, having a relationship with another person? So here's the first thing. Now, don't think this is shallow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to qualify it. But the first thing is physical beauty. Physical beauty. I'm not trying to be shallow with this point. All I mean is this. Are you physically attracted to him or her? That's where it does begin. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Song of Solomon. Beginning his series on Song of Solomon, Pastor Gary shares with us three important points of courtship as Christians. He teaches us that Song of Solomon acknowledges that physical attraction, admired personality, and moral integrity all must be seeked out in the dating stages of a relationship. Though physical attraction and personality seem to work themselves out for young couples, too many sacrifice moral integrity in hopes of retaining or expanding a connection. Be sure that the one you are attracted to loves Jesus as you do. Well, let's join Pastor Gary in the Book of Solomon, Chapter 1, with Part 1 of his message, Courtship Love. We're here in our Bibles now in our journey from cover to cover to the book that is called in the NIV Song of Songs, but in every other English translation it's called the Song of Solomon. So I've uh, chosen to go with that title, Song of Solomon, for our series because that's the predominant title in uh, most English translations. Now the NIV opts for the title Song of Songs And actually, that's more literal. Uh, In fact, in a Hebrew Bible, uh, the Jews refer to this book as Shir Hashirim because that means Song of Songs. So NIV is kind of more true to the literal original Hebrew, but either title is fine, and both titles, Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, comes out of chapter 1, verse 1. If you'll just notice verse 1 of chapter 1, it just simply says Solomon's Song of Songs. So it was written by Solomon, the same guy who wrote Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And this is his number one hit song that reached number one on Billboard's Top 100. Uh, Because Solomon wrote a lot of songs. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Kings 4.32 that Solomon wrote 1,005 songs. 
And this is the one that he says is the most superlative of all his songs. This is the song of songs. And um, this entire book needs to be read that way. The book of Song of Songs or Song of Solomon needs to be understood as a musical drama. This is poetry put to music. And so I want you to picture this, this particular book here as like a musical drama. It's, it's, like, it's like Les Mis, all right, or, or The Greatest Showman. Uh, only it's a, a real godly relationship with a lot of godly steamy sex. That's what it's about, okay? Which is why we warned you, PG-13, friends. Okay, and even next week, it might even have an R rating. I, I'm not really sure yet, but this is, this is uh, probably, you need to be forewarned. This is going to be, this is going to be, um, well, this is just going to be <laughs> pretty explicit stuff here. Um, now, some would say, you know, you can't use the word godly and steamy sex in the same sentence. That doesn't even seem right. Uh, and, and, and therein became the problem of how to interpret this book over the centuries. Um, for the first 18 centuries of church history, from the time that Christ rose from the dead, for the first 18 centuries of church history, in an attempt to avoid the explicit sexual language of this book, um, almost all the reformers, the Puritans, and the early church fathers completely and entirely interpreted this book allegorically. That is to say that it just is symbolic of something, but it doesn't really mean the sexual stuff like we read, okay? Which then brings up the issue of how do you properly interpret the book of the Song of Solomon? There are three primary methods uh, of interpreting the book of Song of Solomon. The first is, as I just mentioned, there's an allegorical way that you can look at this book. And for, again, for the first 18 centuries, this is how this book was interpreted. Only in the last 200 years have Bible scholars been more true to the text and said, you know what, we, 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 gotta, we gotta be true about this. this. This is some really spicy stuff, and we gotta read it for that. But originally, this was interpreted allegorically. And the allegory, basic, it basically goes like this, that this is a book that expresses Christ's love for the church. This is a book that expresses Christ's love for the church. Um, again, you, you read almost every early church father, Puritan or reformer, they all interpreted it that way. For example, Jerome and Augustine of the 5th century A.D., and even uh, more recently, John Wesley and Matthew Henry of the 18th century A.D., they said basically, don't worry about it. It's all about Jesus. I know it really looks sensual, but it's just really all about Jesus. So much so that there's this one early church father by the name of Cyril of Alexandria, writing in the 5th century A.D., who taught that when the woman here mentioned, she's going to mention in chapter 1, when the woman describes her lover lying between her two breasts like a sachet of myrrh. Cyril of Alexandria said, you know what that really means? What she really is saying is it's just symbolic of Jesus coming onto the world scene between the two covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. <laughs> wow. Now, I, I'm tempted there to make a joke, but the Holy Spirit will not allow me. So I won't, I'm just going to move right on. There's some funny stuff there. But anyway, 
So allegorically, you get into a problem, though, where you make everything, it's all about Jesus. It's all just, you know, an allegory about Jesus. It, it's kind of like the Sunday school teacher who went to her fifth grade students and, and felt that she had always been teaching a lesson that was somewhat predictable. So one day she walks into her Sunday school class and, and she says, kids, uh, I just have a, a question for you as we get started in our Sunday school lesson today. What is gray and furry and lives in oak trees? And none of the kids wanted to answer. She kept looking at them like, come on, kids, just work with me. What is gray and furry and lives in oak trees? Nobody wanted to answer. Finally, she called on Susie. Susie's the pastor's kid. She said, Susie, come on, you, you know, you should know an answer like this. And what is gray and furry and lives in an oak tree? And she says, well, Miss Johnson, um, I, I know the answer must be Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel. Yeah, it's a squirrel, okay? And, and so sometimes a squirrel is just a squirrel. And when you read the book of Song of Solomon, you don't need to make it everything about Jesus. Sometimes it's just a squirrel, friends. And so as you look at this, you don't need to overcomplicate it. Well, I think it's all symbolic of this. and symbol- You can read it allegorically, but I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's going to do a disservice to the text. Now, by the way, even before Christians started interpreting this book as Christ's love for the church allegorically, the Jewish people also largely interpret this book allegorically for the same reasons, to avoid this sexually explicit storyline. And so Jews will often read this book as a picture, as an allegory of God's love for Israel. So the Jews read it, God's love for Israel. Christians have traditionally read it as Christ's love for the church. You know what's interesting? Ironically, even though the Jews say it's really about God's love for Israel, They will not allow someone to read this book until you're married or reach the age of 30. Because of the sensual content. So they know, they know there's sexual content in this, but it's like, we're just going to say it's God's love for Israel. But you can't read it until you're 30, though. So by the way, if you're here today under 30, it's a gift. It's a gift today. The Bible study's a gift. But by the way, next week you're going to need a note from your parents in order to be here. So, allegorically is one way to interpret the the book, but so is number two, literally. And this really, honestly, is the best way to see this book as a literal, powerful description of romantic love between a man and a woman that begins with their courtship, we'll see here in a moment, and quickly progresses to their marriage where they enjoy passionate sexual fulfillment. So the literal interpretation really is the best, but then there's also this kind of... uh, um, mediating view that we call the, the uh, typological view, or some Bible commentaries will say the typical view. And all that basically means is that a lot of this book is foreshadowing certain types. And it is somewhat of a combination between the allegorical and the literal. And this is also a good way to, to read through Song of Solomon. In fact, that's probably the way I'm going to lean, because the, the, the typological interpretation of Song of Solomon does not dismiss the literal. Whereas the allegorical does. Allegorical view says this is not a real love story. These are not real people. This is not an historical, factual event. This is all symbolic language to communicate a spiritual truth. The typological view says, no, 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 it is a literal story. It's a love story between two people who, who end up marrying and, and are madly in love, and they experience sex as God's gift in the marriage. But it also has a secondary important 
interpretation to the whole book having to do with God's love for the church. And so the typological view is actually kind of a mediating view of both, and, uh, and it's probably the way that you'll, you'll find that I lean as we read through this, this book together over the next couple of weeks, because this is a real story, it is literal, it is historical, and we need to understand it in its literal historical context, but it also does have a secondary purpose of communicating a greater supreme love, which is God's love for us. Now, the cast in this musical production here, the cast in the Song of Solomon, primarily three groups of people. First, we're going to see here the Shulamite woman. She is unnamed in this book. Um, We can make some assumptions, but that's dangerous, so we won't do that. Uh, But she is from Shulam, and uh, likely she is Jewish. She is referred to in the story as the Beloved. Or, or some of your translations will just say she. You might notice in your Bibles that the conversation is broken up by different titles. Uh, and you have the title beloved for her, or some translations say she, just so you can know the dialogue. Who's talking in this, in this musical drama? And she is the star of, of this musical drama here. She's a poor peasant country girl. Uh, she, you'll notice she does most of the talking. And most of the book is centered around her. And then you also see the, another important character, which is Solomon. He is the, the lover in the story. He's the he, and he's the wealthy king who sweeps this poor peasant country girl off her feet. And then you also see the friends, and they are sometimes called others in the conversation. These, these basically, they're the doo-wop backup singers. And they kind of come into the scene every once in a while. They start, you know, throwing in their two cents and they sing a little bit here. And, and they're friends of the peasant girl who were young and inexperienced. Okay, so this is the cast primarily. Now, you might be asking yourself at this point, what in the world does Solomon know about exclusive uh, love and devotion to one woman? You know, what gives him the right to write this stuff? Um, because if you know anything about Solomon, if you've been with us for the last few months through Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he, he loves women, and so much so that he married 700 and had 300 concubines on the side. Uh, so the answer to that question is that it is believed that Solomon wrote Song of Solomon. This is his love story about his first and true love. Before he got tangled up with all these other women who were pagan, by the way, and led his heart astray into idolatry. This is probably, most scholars believe, a a reflection of a love story that it is his true love and his first love. So it's very romantic. It's very um, tender. it's, It's a beautiful love story. So the purpose, why is it that God would include such a book in the canon of Scripture? Well, to illustrate and celebrate the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife in a God-honoring marriage. Uh, God created sex as a gift to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife in a monogamous, heterosexual marriage. And secondary to that, again, is an illustration of God's love for us. But that's the main purpose why this is included. Let's be honest. When it comes to the idea of sex, the world has polluted it. 
and made every effort to redefine it. And truth be told, I think Christians have in large part avoided discussing it. And perhaps, you know, in an effort to just remain modest and, you know, not to... You know, I mean, who, it's, it's inappropriate to be talking about your sex life around the water cooler. And so, you know, maybe Christians just kind of in an interest of modesty and, and, and propriety just, you know, refuse to kind of talk about it. But, but the, the problem becomes that if we don't at least have an open, honest discussion about this topic and see why it is, in fact, that God has included it in the pages of Scripture, then we will by default relegate the instruction and the information of sex to our children based on what the world says and what the culture teaches. And our kids and youth and young adults are constantly being bombarded with an over-sexualized culture. Wherever you are in the world, you know, sex has become mainstreamed, um, it's become an industry. The United States of America is the largest producer of pornography in the world. Okay, so what God originally intended is this wonderful, exclusive gift to be enjoyed within the context of a monogamous, heterosexual relationship between a husband and a wife has now just become something that is just been redefined and polluted and corrupted, and the church needs to kind of recapture the real and good purpose that God had behind this since he designed it, created it, and wanted us to enjoy it in the proper context. Can I get an amen on that? And so therefore, you know, my, my effort in the next few weeks is going to be to make every effort to be modest uh, in my remarks, but at the same time to be frank in our discussion, no matter how much you or I might blush in the course of some of the things that I might say. Um, my wife has already told me, don't make any jokes. <laughs> so I'm kind of on a leash on this one because she, you know, she's like, don't, don't get all silly. Don't get funny. Don't, don't make jokes that, that could then end up being inappropriate. Okay, so... So let me just get one out of the way. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm going to honor her in this way, but it's going to be tough. But anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be good. I'm going to be a good boy. Now, um, even in its literal interpretation of this book, it's not all about sex. Really, the underlying issue here is about love and romance that culminates to sex between a husband and a wife, but they don't have sex until chapter four. The first three chapters is about their courtship. When we're first introduced to this couple, they are courting. They have not yet married. And so that's where we're going to start. And actually, what I've decided to do is I'm going to take this study in three Part. So the first part is going to be courtship love, because that's the first couple of chapters. Next week, we're going to talk about marital love. Okay, that's where it's going to be a little more even R-rated than it is today. We're going to put a little Barry White in the background. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> that was a joke, so I got to stop. And, <laughs> and then the final week, we're going to talk about God's love. So courtship love, marital love, and then God's love. So first one for today is courtship love. Now, this may not apply to everybody because your season might not be in a courtship. You might be married. You might be um, widowed. You might be not interested in, in uh, a relationship with somebody else. But if, if you are presently courting slash dating, those terms, 
um, can mean different things to different people. But if you're currently in a relationship, you're not married, uh, or you're wanting to be in a relationship, you're not married, uh, or you have kids who are going to end up being in a relationship one day, you might want to pay attention. This may not obviously apply to everybody, uh, but to the degree that it does, you might want to pay attention. Because we're going to look at the first couple of chapters here, obviously with the lengthy introduction that I just gave. I'm going to have to work my way through these points rather quickly, but three points that are important about courtship. If you're interested in a relationship with someone, you're a Christian, you want to be God-honoring, you want to, you're a Christ follower, what are some of the things that are important for you in, in having a relationship with another person? So here's the first thing. Now, don't think this is shallow. I'm going to, I'm going to qualify it, but the first thing is physical beauty physical beauty. I'm not trying to be shallow with this point. All I mean is this. Are you physically attracted to him or her? That's where it does begin. Okay. Are you physically attracted to him or her? Beauty really is in the eye of the beholder. So this is not a statement like there's really good looking people and then there aren't good looking people. This is simply the reality that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You, you will find someone attractive that someone else will not and vice versa. Beauty is a very subjective thing, and that's a good thing because, therefore, someone is attractive to someone. That is the reality. That is true. Uh, you know, for those of you who, who think, well, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm not so sure that I'm that best looking. Don't evaluate yourself like that because everyone is attractive to someone. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But we can't over-spiritualize this. Sometimes Christians are just like, well, it's really not about the external. It's all about the internal. It's about their heart. Okay, listen. That, that's going to be point number two, so hold on. But point number one, don't breeze through it because you've got to look at this person for the rest of your life. If courtship ends up in marriage, you have to honestly want to wake up in the morning and look at the person. They should be easy on your eyes. Again, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's not a statement of whether they're good looking or not. The important thing is, are they good looking to you? Because in this story, they are physically attracted to each other. They are on fire in fuego. I mean, it's, they are on fire for each other. And because they are attracted to each other physically, she sees him as handsome. He sees her as beautiful. And it gets pretty steamy from the get-go. Look here, chapter 1, verse 2. She's speaking here, okay? She starts talking in the book, and she ends talking in the book. And she talks in the middle. <laughs> but I, I like sometimes she's in the driver's seat. It's okay. She plays offense once in a while. Guys kind of like that, ladies. It's all right. But she says, verse 2, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. She's attracted to him. Of course she is here. She wants to be kissed by him. And she says that his love is more delightful than wine. She's, she says, I'm intoxicated by his love. I'm attracted to him. I just want him to kiss me. Now, listen, she's a little insecure about her looks. Look down further, verse 6. In verse 6, she says, do not, she says to him, don't stare at me because I am dark. Because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I have neglected. Again, she's a poor peasant girl from the country. She doesn't have a good relationship with her family. And her brothers have pushed her out in the field and say, just get work in the vineyards in the field. So they're angry with her. We don't know all the family dynamics here. 
She says she's dark. It's not a reference to her race. It is a reference to the fact that she's been scorched under the sun. And so she says to Solomon, I feel weathered by the sun. I don't feel very pretty. There's much more to learn from Pastor Gary's study in the book of Song of Solomon. But that's all we have time for today. If you missed any part of our message today on Cornerstone Connection, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to listen again. You'll find this teaching and others from the series as well as more books of the Bible under the Teachings tab. Pastor Gary has also compiled some additional resources for some of his teaching series that we hope will enhance your personal study time. You can even keep all of this with you wherever you go when you download our mobile app. We'd love to connect with you on social media, too. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and jump into the conversations while you're there. Just follow the links at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you're in the Leesburg area, we'd love to have you come visit us in person. Cornerstone Chapel meets every Sunday and Wednesday to worship God and spend time in the Word. Our service times and directions can be found at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Can't join us in person? No problem. We live stream our weekly services, and you can even access them on our mobile app. Our website, one more time, is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for tuning in today to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.